Hello and welcome to Coffee House Questions. This is Ryan Polly. Now, if you've been listening to the show for a little bit, you may know, I remember, back on January 25th of last year, almost one year to the day, I did an interview titled, How Can I Start Defending My Faith with Dr. Craig Hazen? We discussed an intro to apologetics and why we need to make a defense. And now, one year later, uh, I have the opportunity and the privilege of interviewing Dr. Hazen again. So, Dr. Hazen, thanks for coming back on the show. Oh, thanks for having me, Ryan. A lot has happened since then, huh? Yeah, a lot has happened. I graduated from the apologetics program that you run at Biola University and just been putting that to use and really enjoying postgraduate school life a little bit. Yeah, and a distant second uh, in in importance was uh, you got married, so... Yes, that was... Uh, uh, yeah, a distant second or a very first priority. <laughs> yeah, things are uh, definitely very different. Um, you know, I, I, I think one big thing was I, I felt like when I graduate from the master's program, I will finally kind of have some free time back. You know, all the nights I spent studying and doing homework and writing papers, I'll finally have that to kind of do ministry and, and write some more articles. And, and I think uh, it was about a week before graduation, I got engaged. And so as soon as I graduated, it was into wedding planning. And uh, every night was busy wedding planning. And I thought, oh, once I get married, then kind of that free time comes back. And then it was, okay, getting moved into a new apartment and settling in and, you know, still adjusting to married life. And so it's like, uh, I think things are finally starting to slow down a little bit, which is nice, about a year later. <laughs> well, that's good. So, Dr. Hazen, uh, I don't know if you're aware that you, it was about, it was, uh, yeah, the January 25th, about a year ago today, uh, you joined me. And, and during that interview, I actually kept you from doing your final edits. Uh, I think uh, you were uh, talking about you're doing final edits on a book that you were writing, and that my interview was a little bit of a distraction from that. But since then, your book has come out. It's called Fearless Prayer Why We Don't Ask and Why We Should. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. For those of you who do not know Dr. Hazen, uh, he is the director and the founder of the Christian uh, Master's in Apologetics program at Biola University, also the Master's in Science and Religion. Uh, he is also the director of a Christian philosophy journal, uh, or the editor um, and uh, of that, and speaks and does Biola on the Road and many other great apologetic opportunities, which, by the way, uh, was your last apologetics on the road in Colorado? Yeah, that was, that was a big one. Yeah, my parents were actually attended. They lived there, and and so they told me that they were going to be going to this big conference. And I looked it up. And I go, "Oh, that's the Bible on the road." And so they really enjoyed it, and really uh, enjoyed the the speakers and the team you put together for that. It was fun meeting them. So uh, this book that you've written, a little bit different than what you normally write, uh, and what you've studied on world religions, uh, what you are uh, involved with so science and religion, and with apologetics. Um, why write a book on prayer? Yeah, you know. Uh, yeah, some of my colleagues thought the same thing. You know, they heard I was writing a book on prayer, and they're like, uh, wait a minute, you're writing a book on prayer? I, I guess I have not impressed them with my overt spirituality. <laughs> <laughs> I am I am not the guy somebody comes to for pastoral counseling or something. You know, I just don't have those genes. And uh, so, but, but nonetheless, uh, you know, I am a Christian, and I uh, pray and seek the Lord and all that kind of stuff, and I've learned a few things over the years. But there's one thing that really got under my skin, and I bet you it was a decade ago when it first happened, was I just read this passage in John chapter 15, which I'd read dozens of times before. But when I read it this time, it just hit me upside the head. You don't really believe this. And uh, whatever that voice was, maybe the Holy Spirit, I, I I had to pay attention to it, and I think it was right. I really didn't believe it. And here's, here's the verse I'm talking about. 
is in John chapter 15, and it's uh, verse 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. That just that just didn't seem part of my experience at all. And honestly, I don't know anybody who has that as a vital part of their experience. And so that just sent me on a... Uh, a bit of a research project, trying to figure out what that means. And needless to say, I came out of the other end of the project very pleased with what it means. In fact, I'll give you the, I'll give you the conclusion right up front. I think Jesus really meant it. He meant that ask whatever we wish and it will be done. Yeah. Amazing, you know? Amazing. Now, and, I, I think that most Christians you talk to are going to say, oh, yeah, of course I believe that, but do they really believe it? No, nah, they don't. but that's what jesus said yeah in fact i it's amazing i love the thing i love about this book the most is it just it helps to show people their own unbelief it's like uh i mean there's a part of the book that a good good chunk of the book is just overcoming people's objections to this particular saying of jesus taking them on like one at a time and looking to see uh the what i call the uh the death by a thousand qualifications that this verse undergoes. So what would be some of those qualifications? Oh, okay. You jumping right into it then. Well, because I, I think that there's kind of two different uh, maybe groups of people in my understanding, and you can tell me you know, if you agree or disagree, but you kind of have the person who has all the qualifications. Well, it can't be true because of X, Y, and Z, and, and we're going to talk about those. But I think then there's the other Christian who goes, well, of course, yeah, that's what the Bible says, and I believe it, but they maybe don't actually pray it. They don't uh, fully trust in it uh, and expect things to actually happen when they pray it. But they go, oh, yeah, of course, that's what prayer is. You ask and God does things. Uh, yeah. But maybe there's a there's a there's the intellectual understanding, but then there's the actual belief put into practice. I think maybe two ways that people shy away from this verse. Yeah, well, what I I mean, because hey, I was one of these guys who was pretty skeptical about it too. I just I just was kind of hiding it, and I think the Lord brought it up at a particular point and I had to deal with it. Uh, but I find it fascinating when I bring up this particular passage almost every time, Ryan. It's hilarious. Uh, almost every time I bring this up, somebody goes, well, you know, you got to be careful with that. That's how, they, that's how it always starts. Yeah. You got to be careful with that. And then I go, okay, here come the qualifications. Mm-hmm. And I, as I said earlier, I claim that this verse dies the death of a thousand qualifications. Uh, but actually, in context and in proper understanding, it's an enormously powerful verse. Jesus really meant it. And if a person practices this, they will see amazing benefit in their spiritual life and ministry. How do we then trust in this the right way? So your your book is Fearless Prayer. So maybe start with this. is What is fearless prayer? What, what are you trying to get at for the Christian to understand from reading this book? Well, that's a whole... Interesting story, even about the title of the book, Fearless Prayer, Why We Don't Ask and Why We Should. Uh, that was actually the publisher's idea for a title. You know what my title was going to be? My title was going to be Ask for Anything and It Shall Be Done for You. <laughs> there you I go. would really be in your face, you know? Yeah. Uh, and by the way, and, and the, the president of the publishing company loved it, you know? Because I told him, could you imagine a book like that sitting next to the cash register at a Christian bookstore? Yeah. Everyone would buy it, especially the most immature Christians. <laughs> <laughs> you know, who just want a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Uh, 
And so he, he actually liked the idea. You know, maybe he saw dollar signs in his own eyes, you know, in terms of the sales, you know, with a, with a intriguing title like that. But when his marketing team got a hold of it, they, uh, they made a very good case that I really shouldn't title it that. And they came up with this alternative fearless prayer. But their reason for, uh, not wanting to title ask for anything and it shall be done for you is because they just thought it would really, uh, cause a lot of people to think it's simply another book coming out of the word faith movement, you know, the health yeah. and prosperity gospel. Some people, you know, pejoratively call it the name it and claim it bunch, you know. Yep. And so people would shy away from it and, and, and their core audience might actually not even uh, give it a second look. So I said, all right, guys, I'm going to do a little study on this. And uh, so I went to my Facebook friends. And I have about four, four or 5,000 of them. And uh, I gave them two titles to choose from. I said, you don't know anything except uh, there's a book out there. And one title is uh, Fearless Prayer, Why We Don't Ask and Why We Should. And the other title is Ask for Anything and It Will Be Done for You. Right. So I, I, let, I let them stew on it for a while and they all were making their responses. Get this. The final total was 20 to 1. It was not even a contest. 20 to 1. And it wasn't necessarily for fearless prayer, but it was definitely against ask for anything and it will be done for you. Because of the Word of Faith movement. Yeah. People said, I would just assume it was written by Benny Hinn or something. Uh, Yeah. And so, wow. Uh, But that's, I mean, that's interesting on two levels. First of all, it shows how truly uh, impactful the word faith movement has been to where we're actually kind of scared of them, you know, uh, and that that they have helped to rob us of one of the most important passages of Scripture, because people aren't going to read a book because it has that title, because they think that that idea has been abused by a group and they're not going to go there. Hmm. And uh, interestingly, if you leap back 150 years, I mean, you, you go and you read the, for instance, the, the, the sermons of Charles Spurgeon. I mean, just a fantastic, reformed, fiery, evangelical preacher who has nothing at all to do with the word faith movement. Yeah. And some, a brilliant Bible scholar himself. I, I read a sermon that he wrote called Ask and Have, where he camped on that particular verse, John 15, 7. And, you know, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. And he just went on and on and on about, you know, how God's going to provide for us. And, oh, he was thrilled about that verse. But yet today we shy away from that particular verse because uh, we don't want to be associated with some people who might be abusing it. Yeah. In my view, that is a tremendous success point in uh, in our enemy's spiritual warfare against us. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and that we are allowing uh, the enemy to to take away a passage to distort strip scripture, and rather than us standing up for a correct interpretation to help people better understand what it's saying, uh, we just shy away from it and allow the kind of the distorted view to keep moving on. Yeah. So that word faith association thing is is a powerful uh, objection that people have to this particular passage. Like, so I'll tell them: Look, verse seven of John fifteen says, "If you remain in me." And my words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish, 
and it will be done for you. And people were saying, yeah, but you got to be careful with that because, you know, there's all those word faith people. <laughs> well, yeah. here's my here's my response to that. Look, you know what? I wish they weren't abusing it. But you know what? That's not my concern uh, in trying to figure out what this passage means. I want to get all of the spiritual nourishment and power out of this particular passage. Um, if they're abusing it over there, I, I hope they stop. But I'm not going to let that rob me of the power of this particular passage. So that's dealing with one important objection. People thinking that this associate, associates them with the word faith movement. Yeah. So so some of the other objections, because I do want to get into specifically what this verse is talking about and how can we take it correctly. Uh, but another, there, there are other difficulties in our culture, one of them being doubt. Uh, and you discuss a little bit of doubt in your book, talking about uh, minor doubt versus serious doubt. But, you know, Emily wrote in on Instagram and said, you know, how does doubt affect prayer? Yeah, you know, I weirdly, very weirdly, I actually have a chapter on, a short chapter on Christian apologetics in a book on prayer. Well, that was another question I had is, I I think this is the first book I've ever read on prayer that talks about Christian apologetics, and why is that included? (laughs) Well, it just makes perfect, it made perfect sense to me that uh, if a person wants to really see uh, a very vibrant prayer life, that they really have to believe God exists and that Jesus is the unique Savior of humankind. And, I mean, without that, you just forget the whole enterprise. And strangely, I know you've noticed this, too. When you go uh, to even vibrant evangelical churches, you discover that a lot of people aren't quite sure about the whole Christian thing. I mean, they think it might be true, and they kind of hope it's true, but they don't really have much in the way of uh, firm knowledge that it's true. And I think my prayer life is enhanced tremendously when I have a firm understanding that, uh, <clears throat> that God exists and that Jesus can save me from my sins. Suddenly, a prayer becomes a real option because there's a personal God who can hear me and who cares about me. Uh, I just think that without that, people are never going to really see the uh, a vibrant prayer life or certainly not a fulfillment of this passage in John chapter 15. So getting into the verse then. Uh, if we are trusting in and recognize who we're praying to, right, that God does exist, that he is the God of Christianity, and we trust what Scripture says, how, how should we then understand this verse of pray anything? I mean, the word is right there, right? It says anything. Can we pray, can we pray about anything? Whatever you ask. Wow. Uh, yes. Yeah. Now, here's the thing. Um, in fact, let me, can I back up just a little bit? Because Absolutely. there's a couple things I want to make clear before we, like, you know, really let this thing ramp up. And and one is another objection that people throw at me, and it's, uh, they go, Hazen, look, you got to understand that, that that passage is a conditional, right? It's if you do this, then this result will take place. Okay. And so if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, you wish and it'll be done for you. So, some people think, well, we're not really fulfilling the conditional, you know. Uh, well, I got to tell you, I, I don't know about that. I, I uh, remain or abide in Jesus, and, and his words remain or abide in me. I mean, I'm kind of I'm soaked in the word of God. I love it. I read it all the time. I like to listen to other people read it and teach on it. And, and I've discovered that that's a, that's a fairly common thing in 
our, um, you know, Bible believing Jesus loving churches around the country. That, that people really are pretty committed to Jesus. They want to grow in him. They want to be like him. They want to follow him in every way. And they're, they're constantly reading his word and listening to it preach. They have their kids reading the Bible to them. And, uh, and those words are alive in them too. Uh, I'd be hard pressed not, I'd be hard pressed to say that not very many Christians, uh, have fulfilled this conditional. I think most people who are passionately following Jesus do fulfill this conditional. Yes. And nowhere in the conditional does it say that we have to do these things perfectly, right? Yeah. Um, it just means that we need to do them. None of us are going to do them perfectly. And Jesus was actually teaching this to a bunch of very imperfect followers of his who were going to deny him within just a few hours of his saying this, for goodness sakes. And if it applied to them, I think it applies to us. Yeah, and it seems weird for Jesus to tell the disciples who he knows is who he knew would never be perfect to say, "Well, if you do this, then I'll ask whatever you wish and I'll give it to you." But you know, I know that you never will. <laughs> right. It seems like a very weird thing for Jesus to say, knowing that they're never never going to reach perfection. Yeah, I like the way you said that. That's great. So that's an objection. People say, "Well, we don't reach the conditional." You're saying we do reach that conditional. Uh, think- so we do have qualify for it. So then, how then does that whatever we ask? apply yeah um well there's 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 one other issue okay there's two other issues uh and you got to kind of address all these before this thing comes to full flower um i think that's part of the mistake we 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 tend to read read the verse without looking at our cultural problems with it and we all carry around some strange cultural problems uh with this particular passage and and the first one is is we are immersed in naturalism. This might be the most uh, most salient problem we have when we face a passage like this. We don't know it, but we're immersed in naturalism, which is a view of the world. And uh, I mean, to, to give it a very simple definition is uh, the worldview of naturalism uh, doesn't allow supernatural things to happen. Now, I know as Christians, we believe in supernatural things, but do we really when they're supposed to be happening to us? It's kind of easy to believe that, you know, Jesus brought Lazarus back from the dead a couple thousand years ago, way over in uh, the Holy Land, you know? Yeah, sure, that happened. But boy, when it it applies to us in the here and now, it's much harder to believe that a supernatural thing is going to happen in our life. And our culture has set up a situation where, where we are just marinating in naturalism. And it's very hard for us to get a fresh, supernatural breath. Uh, so that, that's important to do in order to see some fulfillment of this particular promise by Jesus. We, we have to be supernaturally minded. And, uh, and I think uh, a, starting with a simple prayer to God to give me more of a supernatural mindset would be very helpful. Yeah. And I, and I love the story, and I was going to bring this up kind of after discussing, but it works wonderful now, is, is you mentioned the story of Kojo uh, and dealing with this kind of naturalistic way of thinking. Uh, can you kind of retell that story shortly of, of what that did to kind of help us realize uh, maybe why our prayers aren't being effective? Yeah, you know, this, this being immersed in naturalism is kind of a North American or Western thing. You don't find it quite as much in Asia and Africa. Uh, they're just a little bit more supernaturally uh, open. Uh, 
And one example I use is, is a, a graduate of our apologetics program, and his name is Kojo, and he's from Ghana in Africa. And when he finished his degree with us, he went back to Ghana to do ministry. And uh, I, I would occasionally read an a Internet note of his, and I was very impressed with what he was doing. Well, he came back to the States to visit. He stopped by Biola University, and, and uh, I had the great pleasure of talking with him in my office for a couple of hours. And, and so he's telling me about some of the ministry he's doing. Oh, yeah, I got a chance to speak in front of parliament. I got a chance to do this uh, evangelistic work out in the uh, out in the countryside. And, you know, at some of these meetings, oh, yeah, a woman brought in her dead child and we prayed and the kid comes back to life. And then we went over to and I go, whoa, 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 whoa. Kojo, wait a second. You did what now? Yeah, yeah. And he tells the story of a, a of them praying and a child coming back to life. And uh and he told many other little supernatural items, too. So said, Kojo, uh, in your opinion, how come we don't see those kinds of things very often here in North America? And he, he actually laughed at me like, <laughs> like, I can't believe you don't know that. And uh, so after I badgered him a little bit, I said, no, no, tell me, why, why do you think that we don't see those kinds of things? And he said, it's easy. He goes, think of it this way. You have 911. You have 911. And it dawned on me what he meant by that. Uh, you see, we can pick up the phone and dial 911. Now, that doesn't mean we exclude praying, but we're probably praying while we're running to the phone, you know. And, uh, and we put a lot of faith in 911 to solve our problems, to send out people to, you know, render medical aid or to, uh, you know, chase away cat burglars or whatever else. Um, Kojo goes, hey, in Ghana, we don't have 911. Nope, not not a thing. So guess what we do? We pray more. And when we pray more, we actually see more answers to prayer, and it causes us to pray even more. So we're just more supernaturally minded because yeah. we don't really have any choice. Yeah, I think that's just a powerful statement. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, and you know, by the way, that's not to bag on 911. As Kojo himself pointed out, that's a, that's a wonderful tool uh, from the common grace of God to all of us that you have that emergency system, but sometimes it becomes our singular system for salvation or help yeah. when, when we're not we're not going directly to God. That made a lot of sense to me. Yeah, and I think also I, I, I think while well, you're telling the story of that because of kind of this naturalistic view that we have in our Western culture and not seeing maybe many miracles through prayer, I often get the objection from students. You know, if God is still doing this, why don't we see it? And, it, and it's often like, well, do you know of all the stories in other countries where these crazy miracles are happening? And we often uh, assume our naturalistic framework and kind of we don't see miracles in our country. Therefore, God doesn't do miracles. Yeah. You know, and part of the problem is uh, God's doing little miracles for us all the time. Amazing little answers to prayer that we don't even notice mm -hmm. because we're kind of immersed in naturals and we're not even looking for them. Absolutely. Uh, over the last 10 years, as I've grown in my awareness of this, I sometimes watch in amazement in a, how in a single day after I pray for something, God will start moving chess pieces around uh, parts of my life to bring something to fulfillment. It's really extraordinary. Yeah. And how, so how attentive he is to my requests. Yeah, and, and when we're aware of that. And when we think in a new mind, a new light, uh, and we see God moving in often ways that we're just missing because we're not paying attention. 
Yeah. So we have less than five minutes left. And so you, you mentioned there's one more objection and then we can kind of briefly get into the, the verse. And I just want to encourage those to grab the book so they can really get a deeper understanding. Yeah. Well, this objection is the one that really brings forth the full flowering of the interpretation. So let me hit you with it. All right. This, this passage does not sit in isolation. It is part of a whole. There's a context to it. And the context is the vine and the branches. Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. And the the vine is a plant that's firmly planted in the ground, sends down deep roots, brings up water and nourishment, sends it out to the branches. We are the branches. And it's the branches that bear the fruit. It's our great privilege to bear the fruit of the vine. The vine is Jesus. We are the the, the go-between. You know, we're the branches who actually get to carry the fruit. This whole thing is about fruit bearing, about bearing the fruit of Jesus. Uh, another way to put it, it's about kingdom work. It's about pushing his kingdom and his purposes uh, to the fore and seeing those accomplished. That's what it's really about. So if, if that's what you want to do, bear his fruit, uh, do work on his behalf. I don't know if it's bringing meals to shut-ins or, or writing worship songs or leading Bible studies or just doing uh, counseling with troubled teens, um, uh, doing missionary work, all kinds of things that you can possibly imagine to do in his name. If you need anything to accomplish those tasks that you think are going to push the kingdom forward, according to what we read in John chapter 15, verses 5 through 8, you really can ask for anything and he will give it to you. Again. That's powerful. Yeah. Again, if, if you're doing his work and bearing his fruit, that's your goal. And you need something, whether it's funding or volunteers or special tools, you name it. You ask for that and he will be on it. Uh, in fact, he says it. I think verse eight has this wonderful wrap up. Uh, Jesus says this. This is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. It's like he's sitting outside the door right now with a basket full of things that you need to be successful with in ministry. And he just can't wait to get them into your hands. Yeah. I think there's all, so many examples of ministries. I can think of my time in missions, you know, needing to raise money to build a school for refugees and just miraculously money coming in uh, last minute and, and God providing in those in those ways. And so there are many stories of that happening, of this yeah. verse actually playing out to be true. Yeah. And so, and so looking, looking at what you were talking about uh, earlier about, does this apply to anything? Well, no, it doesn't. It really does apply to kingdom work is what it's talking about. But I encourage people to pray for really anything because any kind of prayer, any kind of request to God gets you in front of God. Yeah. And and once you're there, he might actually tinker with your requests a little bit, maybe make them more in line with the fruit bearing and so on. So don't hesitate, even if you think it's kind of a crazy, even a selfish or materialistic prayer request, uh, bring it to God. It gives him an opportunity to teach and love on you and uh, and really blow your mind with answers to the right kinds of prayers. 
So we have one minute. So I want to finish with an objection, uh, which is also a question came that comes in from someone and what you discuss in your book. So try, we're trying, try to keep it short to a minute. Uh, but you talk about the idea of I tried, but it didn't work. Uh, Tony wrote in on, on Instagram and talked about, you know, when do you stop praying for something? You know, what about when you're praying for something that seems to be kingdom work, you know, for the health of someone to be recovered or whatever, and God just isn't answering? Is there a point where we just stop because maybe it's not working? Bummer. We need a whole another half hour on out. Yeah. No, but but because I don't think healing prayers really fit into this model. Healing is a very different thing. And uh, really, the, the baseline for healing prayers is that we're all going to die and nobody's going to escape it. You know, so even if we're healed, it's only healed. We're only healed for a little while. And then then we're uh, back facing death once again. Uh, but this uh, there's there's something else very important that's not in this verse. And I didn't bring it up yet. And that's there's nothing about timing. Now, I've been praying for some things for years, and I'm still convinced God is totally going to do them because they are, they are kingdom-minded, and, and I can just see it's right up his alley. And so we're taught in Scripture to keep banging on the door and keep asking. And uh, some things God responds to immediately or within 24 hours. It's amazing. But some things take a little bit longer, yeah. and uh, we need to learn how to be persistent. Keep being persistent. Well, well, I wish we had more time together, but we are out and we'll have to stop it there. But hopefully people can go pick up the book and, and learn more of what you have to say in this incredible little short book that you have written. So uh, Dr. Hazen, thank you so much uh, for joining uh, me on the show today. Thanks, Ryan. That was a lot of fun. And thanks to all of you who downloaded and listened to the show. I sure hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, why don't you send it over to your family and friends so they can enjoy it too. And don't miss next week. I'm interviewing J.P. Moreland on his new book, Scientism and Secularism. You won't want to miss it. And don't miss all the things happening with Coffeehouse Questions. Follow on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at RyanPolly3. And check out all the new videos going up on YouTube. Have a blessed day. Sip coffee. Think deeply. This is Coffeehouse Questions with Ryan Polly. to follow your love will guide my way